Please stand for the reading of the scripture. Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. About that time, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. Where he was coming up out of the water, Jesus saw heaven splitting open, and like a spirit, the dove came down upon him. And there was a voice from heaven, You are my son, whom I dearly love. In you I find happiness. At once the Spirit forced Jesus out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for forty days, tempted by Satan. He was among the wild animals, and the angels took care of him. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee announcing God's good news, saying, Now is the time. Here comes the king, God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Norm, for the reading. I want to mention today that I'm going to share some stories about my own life, and in telling those stories, I'm going to mention some difficult things like mental illness and disordered eating, and I just want you to know that so that you can prepare yourself. It's perfectly all right for you to do what you need to do at any time during the service. Please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. Who observed Pancake Day this week? Good, good. <laughs> Wes and I did not observe it on Tuesday, but we did last night. And they were great. Pancake Day is about getting rid of all of the butter and the eggs. Did you know that? <laughs> For some of us, it may be more difficult than others. Yes, but perishable food items that won't be used up during the fasting in Lent have traditionally been consumed on the Tuesday before Ash Wednesday. That's why it's sometimes called Fat Tuesday, Mardi Gras. Ah, that's right. That's right. Fasting has not always been the sole way or the primary way to observe Lent, but it is a popular one. It's popular in a lot of ways because it's effective. Changing your routine in such a fundamental way as changing what you eat and how you eat and when really changes the way that your attention performs during the day. It makes life look different. Mm -hmm. And that's important for us to use our senses differently during the season of Lent. To take the opportunity to sharpen our attention and to experience things in an alternate way. 
all season, we're going to be talking about different senses because we're hoping that by sharpening our senses during this season of Lent, we will see and hear what God has planned for us and our future. But as I said this morning, I want to deviate from what is typical for me and tell you a little bit more about myself. We're still coming to know each other. We're still in our first year together. And in fact, I know from many, many relationships over the years that we're going to continue to discover what is new and mysterious in each other, even if we're together for years and years. But this morning, I want to tell you some stories I haven't told you before. Our scripture this morning is the way the scripture in Mark that shows the way that baptism, blessing, is immediately tied with wilderness and struggle. It's not like that in the other Gospels, but in Mark, it is. No sooner has the Holy Spirit arrived and said, this is my beloved in whom I am well pleased. But Jesus is driven out, driven out to the wilderness. And so it was with me. I grew early. You know, I didn't get to be this tall slowly. It kind of all popped out at once, like maybe like Athena coming out of her father's head fully clothed in armor. (laughs) I don't know how it's possible, but it seems like uh, my parents blinked and I was taller than them. At the end of sixth grade, uh, my school went up through sixth grade. At the end of sixth grade, I got a special pencil for being the tallest person in the school Faculty and staff included. (laughs) I grew early in a lot of ways. I'm one of those blessed women who has an older brother, which means that uh, I got to experience a lot of things before I would have otherwise. I got to spend time with my older brother's friends. Right? I got to tag along and be the sidekick. I got to take the classes and keep company. And so there came a time when I was so blessed and encouraged, and I had grown so much that I didn't really fit with my own age group. You know what I mean? I made my peers uncomfortable. And this became a problem for me. It was hard for me not to move on and move up when my brother moved on and moved up. It was hard for me to remain where I was, to be getting a sense of my size and what was possible for me, but to not yet be in a place in the world where that size was useful or positive. I really struggled with it. And because 
as a young person, I could only see from my own perspective, not from the perspectives around me. I was ashamed. I was ashamed. And I turned that feeling inward. I began to use something that was available to me, something that was close to me, food, as a way of practicing disgust on myself, harming myself. It's that easy. We can take anything good and turn it against ourselves, right? Even in the Garden of Eden. Food, which in the Methodist church especially, is such a way of sharing love, became for me something that was joyless, tasteless, loveless, just an instrument. It was terrifying. As any of you who walked a similar dark valley will know, It was really scary, and it felt really lonely. But I wasn't actually alone. There were people all around me who were loving me persistently, even when I couldn't feel it. And there came a moment when I was given a song to sing with the church choir. The church choir was singing a cantata, and I had started singing with them early. I'd sung in the alto section because there were people there who had claimed me as their own and had loved me fiercely, putting up with all of my adolescent frizz. (laughs) And the day came when I was given a solo to sing in the cantata. I sang the Magnificat. Mm Mm-hmm. The whole choir would sing together, and then there would come a time when I would step out of the choir, and I would change out of my choir robe into a plain white robe. And when the time came, I would step out, and I would sing, My soul magnifies the Lord. The Holy One has done great things for me. And we had rehearsed, and one night as we were preparing for the song, To be sung in performance, I was sitting back there, back behind the chancel area and waiting for the time to sing, and I felt my heart strangely warmed. And I saw a glowing light. And I knew that God loved me fiercely and was not ashamed of me. And that what I did to punish myself was also a punishment to those who cared about what happened to me. That if I could learn how to care better for myself, those who loved me would feel better cared for by me, including God. I had no idea what to do with that knowledge then but it kindled in me a taste for love. It kindled in me a taste for love. (sighs) 
I had a lot of work to do on myself. This isn't the kind of um, experience you can have and then just be done with it the next day. I had an insight in something that was so hopeful and powerful, a love that could transform me, but I had to learn how to be transformed. I had to learn how to receive that kind of transformation and begin to change the way I moved through the world little bit by little bit, day by day. And some of that had to do with the choices I've made of where I went to college. Friends, I'm a city girl. I am a city girl. I'm never happier than when everything is buzzing. When there are a hundred things going on and everyone looks different. And you can just feel a thrum of energy of all of the things that humans have designed and all the ways that humans move through the world. I so badly wanted to be in a multicultural urban environment where I would have so many choices of major so many things to study. But I had a taste for love. And I met somebody at a college fair who glowed with love, who glowed with love for the institution she worked for, for the way that the faculty taught there, for the way that the students embodied leadership and service. She glowed with love as she was talking with me, and I could feel it. I felt like, wow, if there's other people like her on this campus, that's something I should try to get close to. And so, city girl as I was, I went to a college that was half the size of my high school in the middle of a cornfield in Iowa. <laughs> For a while, I didn't even have a bicycle, y'all. That was rural. <laughs> But as soon as I arrived on campus, I experienced that people remembered me. They remembered my name. They had this amazing way of paying attention to big and small things. And they were really open to God in this curious way, in this deliberative way. And they would invite students into having the same kind of openness and curiosity in their lives. And they were so committed to service. And so many people on that campus served me, gave me opportunities, knocked on my door, sent me emails to check, are you okay? Offered ways of being in love with God and with each other. I was overwhelmed. I had put my story of um, suffering and to me, failure, and shame in my papers when I applied. They had seen my transcripts and the way my grades had suffered, and they called me to be with them, and they encouraged me, and they supported me. And I found myself that first semester regularly in tears, overwhelmed. What had I done to deserve this? How could I possibly respond in any kind of scale to the scale of what I had been given? I had a dream. 
And in my dream, I was explaining to my roommate about how I admired Mary. I didn't particularly admire Mary at this point, but in the dream, I was explaining how I admired Mary because when God showed up and gave her a call, she was ready, and she said yes, even though she was afraid. And I, that I wanted to be like that if I ever received a call from God. And then I heard the doxology that we sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise God all creatures here below. And I woke up and I knew that my call was to praise God with my whole life. To praise God with my whole life. This experience had created me a taste for grace. A taste for grace. But even though I knew something about love and I was starting to make decisions about how to live in a way that responded to love, that was led by love, that gave love into the world, even though I had a taste for grace and I knew that I was forgiven, loved, and free and invited to live my whole life out of love for God. I didn't know how to study for an exam. I didn't know how to pack a lunch for myself. I didn't know how to put one foot in front of the other. There was so much about living that was still going to be so messy and hard to figure out. But I had this love to orient to. You know, we talked about that, right? Like a compass point to direct my life toward that. And one of the things I realized, not immediately, but with the help of professors who were listening to me and all my rambling and helping me listen back to myself and understand something about how other people saw me. I applied for seminary. And I applied for seminary in Boston, Massachusetts. <laughs> Sight unseen. And I got a phone call on my voicemail that I was accepted. I knew, knew no one. I had nowhere to live. I didn't even understand like how to pay tuition. But somehow I ended up in Boston, Massachusetts, enrolled in Boston University at the School of Theology studying for a Master's of Divinity. White-knuckling it the whole way. Eating a lot of macaroni. I had taken this huge step, this step that was about claiming a certain place in the world a certain kind of leadership. And I was terrified. I thought, if I'm making the wrong decision now, I have blown up so much in my life. I have left so much behind. I have chosen this over so many other possible, safer paths. I could feel myself moving farther away from the people I had spent my time with before, moving into a more narrow way. And that was frightening. And I was really alone in some ways. I didn't have people here. And I wondered a lot if I was making a mistake. 
And then one night I was on a study retreat and I was preparing for class and I was reading um, the autobiography, the spiritual autobiography uh, of Leo Tolstoy. And at the very end, he talks about a dream. He had a dream about grace. And as I read about his dream, I felt my heart strangely warmed. And all the light in the room moved down low. And I could feel it holding me. And I knew, I knew that I was where I was supposed to be. That this, whatever it was, I knew so little about it. Whatever it was, was for me, and I was for it, and I was doing the right thing. I knew that to be true then. And that wherever I was called to go, even if it meant really going out on a limb, really taking a huge risk, and being all alone up here, y'all, that I would never really be alone because God was right there with me, that that's who I was going to be with the whole time. And it created me a taste for covenant faithfulness. God had said, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. And I felt it. I felt it. Open our heart, opening our hearts with vulnerability to receive the blessing, to know that we are God's beloved, does go hand in hand with the wilderness. With fear and exile and doubt. They do go together, but Mark doesn't emphasize the temptation. Mark emphasizes that love and risk go hand in hand and that there are angels in the wilderness. And that all of this, all of this is preparation for kingdom come. All this is preparation for kingdom come. I've shared a part of my story with you today. And I know over time as we come to grow together and know each other more, I will know more of your stories too. They're a part of this. They're a part of our hearts and lives which have been changed by the love of God, changed by a taste for love, by a taste for grace, by a taste for covenant faithfulness. All this is preparation for kingdom come. There are angels in the wilderness.